This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, tech girl, Miriam Joie. Brought to you by Audible. Stay tuned for a special offer at the end of the show. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Joie, and today is Thursday, May 21st, 2020, and my guest is Dom Lamberti of Mobile Tech Talk. Hi, Dom. How are you? Hey, Miriam. It's lovely to be here. Really happy to have you on. Uh, how are you hanging in there in this crazy time? It's uh, it's interesting. So it, <laughs> That's it's, what everybody says on my show. <laughs> so you, you, when you do what we do, we spend most of the time indoors anyway. But have, not being able to like if you want to go out or do anything that's the the mental um crazy thing definitely i mean it's it's difficult i definitely do go out i'm the one in the household that runs the errands uh, i takes obviously all the precautions so i do go out probably once a day but it is challenging um because you know when i'm reviewing phones and stuff i want to do photos and stuff and i feel that i'm not getting quite the range right of of um uh, tests that I want because I can't really do it. And uh, that's been the challenge. I think, honestly, have you noticed that we're still getting all the phones though? Like we're, we're still getting a ton of launches and new products. I was, I was going to say this because since the beginning of March, so two months ish, I've had nine phones come in for review. It's actually been pretty crazy. We did go through a little bit of a phone apocalypse there for a bit, right? Mm, somewhere between like, October, November till about January-ish. It was super boring because you have the iPhone in September um, and pretty much everything after that. There's usually like the Note stuff and that's roughly around the same time. But it was, yeah, it, it kind of dulls out. But there's been a lot of Asian and Chinese companies picking up the slack this year. So let's jump right in. I want to hear about the last review you did for Mobile Tech Talk, which is the Realme 6 Pro, because this is a phone that, you know, it it exists. If I really want one, I can probably hit my Xiaomi contacts and they'll send it to me. Sorry, my Oppo contacts and they'll send it to me. But I have unfortunately bigger fish to fry, like the Find X2 Pro I recently <laughs> reviewed um, for hot hardware. So I'm kind of curious to get the take of someone whose judgment I trust, like you, about this phone. Like, tell us what the gist of it is. What's the price point? What are the goods, the bads? Tell us a little bit about it. So the in the UK, at least, the Realme 6 Pro is £299. Uh-huh. And it is a, I believe it's 6.6 inches. But the it's 6.6 inches. It's a Snapdragon 720G. USB-C, multiple cameras at the back. It's the 64-megapixel Samsung ISOCELL camera, uh-huh. or, or one of the ISOCELL cameras. But the important thing about the Realme 6 and the 6 Pro is the fact that they're really inexpensive phones, but they have 90 hertz screens. Wow. For £299? So the more impressive one is the Realme 6. So that, is, that starts at 219 You reviewed that as well, right? Yeah. Yeah, just prior. So I'll put both links in the show notes and description for the listeners. Yeah, I think I did. Uh, the, I posted the six at the beginning of the week and the six pro at the end. So tell us the price on that one. So two hundred and nineteen pounds gets you a Realme six with ninety hertz. With ninety hertz. Wow. And it's ten eighty p. Yeah, it's, is it OLED? 
So no, these are IPS. And okay, okay. So and one of the the major issues with both of them is if you're trying to find a screen that can do higher refresh rates, you kind of need to uh, compromise on other things, shall we say? <laughs> yes. And the uh, the I believe the scaler or the quality of the scaler is what they've toned back here. So do you remember with the LG G3, there was a kind of an issue where it almost looked like everything was over sharpened? Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. So the Realme 6 suffers with it more, obviously being the cheaper phone. But they yeah. both have this slight uh, extra sharpness on the screen, which I found quite interesting. And obviously I haven't seen in a while. That's bizarre. Like you don't actually hear that happening anymore at all. Like, I actually, now that you mentioned the G3, that's kind of the last phone I remember that doing that. And wasn't the G3 the first 1440 Quad HD phone ever? Yeah. So one of the reasons it happened with the G3 is that the 1440p screen requ itself requires a certain amount of bandwidth. And the Snapdragon 800 or 801 inside of it was practically at the limits of what it could technically supply right and it was basically running into memory buffer issues on the display link between the soc and the screen wow yeah interesting so you're having a bit of that here yeah so the phone itself doesn't feel slow yeah it, it appears on both but the snapdragon processor in the 6 pro is more capable so you see it less so you said it's a 720g on the pro or on the base so the base model is the is the MediaTek G90T. Oh, it's the G90. Got it. Yeah, and the the Pro is the 720G. Hmm. So what else is different between these two? Uh, the price, obviously, but and of course the processor. Is the camera system any different? So the camera system is minutely different. So let me just uh, get a side by side up. <laughs> don't worry it's good i mean we don't need to get super detailed like you don't get to f-stops or anything i just kind of want to have an yeah. idea of what we're looking at overall so the main camera is the same it's the 64 megapixel samsung iso cell gw1 uh, on the pro you have a 12 megapixel telephoto which is 2x interesting usually you see an ultra wide and a macro these days right you don't see a telephoto at all anymore yeah, so this has the 64 megapixel main, 12 megapixel telephoto, 8 megapixel ultra wide, Ooh. 2 megapixel macro. That's exciting for 299. Like I've, you know, I'm feeling a little resentful that a lot of the mid-range phones are in, including not even mid-range, OnePlus 8, which we're going to talk about soon, are dropping the telephoto completely. I mean, LG V60 at almost 1000 US dollars, no telephoto, right? It's mm. it's surprising. I mean, for a long time, last year, 2019, almost every mid-range-ish phone worth its salt had a telephoto ultra-wide and a regular. Like, a good example is a K20 and K20 Pro from, mm -hmm. uh, from uh, Redmi. You know, of course, they ran a Snapdragon 855, so they're kind of a bit of an outlier. They're kind of like the, the Poco F2 Pro that is today basically the equivalent of the K30 Pro. But but I'm, I feel like... At this price point, usually now in 2020, you know, you're not getting a, you're not getting a tele at all. So that's kind of exciting to me. Yeah. So the the standard Realme Six drops that drop that drops the telephoto. Okay. But but otherwise everything else is the same. It swaps the um, 
it swaps the telephoto for one of those useless depth, depth. cameras, which, yeah, which yeah. I really hate. But what's interesting about the Pro is it has dual selfie cameras. Oh, like do different angles? Yeah, so it has a 16 megapixel wide angle and it has a 8 megapixel ultra wide. Wow, like this is crazy for 299. What's yeah. the battery size? 4300 on both. Okay. And it's running ColorOS, I guess, or something like that? Yeah, so it's it's running Realme UI, which is ColorOS 7.01, basically. Oof. Now that Realme is, a, is its own company, they couldn't be using... Um, right. It's, it's pr- practically what Huawei and Honor are doing with EMUI and Magic and UI. And Magic UI, yeah. Um, but that means a, a bit of ickiness, though, right? Honestly, no. No, and that is good. That is that is the crazy thing to me. So, about six months or so ago, I reviewed the Realme Five, uh-huh. and I hated it. It was horrid. It was abysmal. The software was the thing. Right. So this is like the experience I had with the Find X2 Pro, where all of a sudden ColorOS was manageable. Like it, it's that. It's okay. Basically, that with a slightly like different color scheme, but it's the yeah. Oh, good to know. Well, I'm glad to hear that. So would you recommend these phones? Yes. And of course, those are UK market, um, but are they available in other markets? I mean, in the US, we'll be able to import them. Gray market, we have, you know, Gearbest and Alibaba and others. Amazon actually sells a lot of stuff. Um, But you are probably getting them through official channels, correct? Yeah, so the prices I, I quoted were from the official Realme website or the UK version of the Realme website. We can also get them through Amazon here, which is okay, wow. great. But if I go to the European Realme website, so the Realme 6 is, or it starts at 229 euros, and the Pro is 349 euros. I mean, basically, we're looking at a three hundred dollar US or three fifty US phone if we, you know, if they if we were brought here by an importer of some kind. It's just pretty yeah. incredible. Wow, that's amazing. Anything else that stands out for you that you found delightful or anything else that you found like, oh, that was disappointing on either of these two phones? So it shows I've been reviewing a lot of lower end phones lately when the two things that stand out to me are the fact it has NFC. Oh, that's good. Yeah, <laughs> and, and it has fast charging. So it has, it has okay. 30 watt charging. Both of them have 30 watt charging. And the NFC is on both, right? Yep. So a Google Pay works. That's exciting. And I have tested it over here. Nice. And then uh, no wireless charging, I presume. No water resistance, anything like that, right? No, no, none of that. Headphone jack? The, let me get the six out of my drawer. The Pro (laughs) definitely does. This, This is like the problem we face. You never know, right? They both have headphones, jacks. Okay, good. Well, listen, folks, if you're in the UK, I, I know I don't give enough UK love uh, in terms of news and content to uh, my a very, very large swath of UK listeners, but I figured with Dom on board here, we should talk about some, some more UK-centric stuff. I hate to tell you, but please stay tuned till the end because we're going to talk about IFA and MediaTek at the very end. But there's going to be a little bit of US-centric news. There's some big things happening that I unfortunately have to cover. Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing my job. So you can kind of roll your eyes about that later. But um, I appreciate if you stay tuned for the rest of it. So you have the TCL 10L. 
Do you have the 10 Pro? So the UK shipments of the 10 Pros were delayed, so I don't have one yet, but it's on its way. It's on its way. So I just reviewed both of them, uh, kind of like a comparison review for hot hardware. I don't know if you got a chance to see it, um, but I was pretty impressed. And to be frank, if I had to pick one of the two of them right now, I'd pick the 10L. Um, and the reason for that is because the 10L doesn't have as much competition here in the US. It or I shouldn't say that. I should say that its competition is more even and matched. For example, the, the G-Series from Moto um, and a few others that I wrote down in my review. But the, the point is that the 10L I feel, is good value, where the 10 Pro, you start running into a big problem with the 10 Pro. <laughs> and that's that in the US, you can get a OnePlus 7T for $499 US dollars, brand new from OnePlus. Wow. And that's $50 more. That's a lot of money, $50. I'm not, I get it. Some people can't go that high. But for 50, if you can save an extra month of money, you can get a 7T instead of the 10 Pro. And trust me, you want to do that, <laughs> right? Like, um, so the, the competition identified, and I'd love to hear from your perspective in the UK what the competition is for the 10L. So for the 10L, what I identified was... The G, the G series, particularly the G Power, which has a really large battery, and then the Samsung Galaxy A51, which sounds crazy because that's more of a competitor for the 10 Pro. But the 51, the A51 in the US is currently available. Please brace yourself for 280 US dollars. Whoa. Yes, from Walmart. I think that was a special sale, but at the time I wrote the review, this is normally a $400 phone, the A51. But the other one is, I would assume that you, you can corroborate this because you are based in a market that might have this phone, is another good competitor, I feel, for the 10L might be the ones you just talked about, the, the Realmes, but also the Redmi Note 8 Pro. What do you think of that? Yeah, so hilariously, Xiaomi bombed over here really oh, hard. Oh, really? So oh my yeah, God. so they tried, they tried to launch about... I want to say two years ago with the, the Mi A2 and stuff like that. Uh -huh. um, and for about two months, they were, two, three months, they were going really hardcore. They were going with all the, um, all the adverts. They were working with carriers. They were doing all that. And then radio silence. Oh, my God. And the PR companies just kind of like disappeared. So like if you want a, a Xiaomi or a Redmi phone in the UK, you actually have to, go directly to to xiaomi or right somewhere else um so a lot of people don't but the you say the note 8 yeah Note 8 pro was the one I identified i kind of did a bit of shopping around you know and i found that this was possibly a good option for some people mm, so I, I don't believe you can get that here not not directly anyway you'd have to yeah well then maybe those real me's we were just talking about i mean they're priced uh, uh, around the same. I mean, in the US, the 10L, the TCL 10L is 250 US dollars, which I don't know how much it is in the UK. 199. All right, I think that's pretty equivalent, right? So we're looking at yeah. maybe the uh, the uh, Realme um, the six, six, right? Yeah. And and if you think that there's no telephoto on that phone, that makes perfect sense. That's kind of the same set of cameras too, almost, right? I mean, the it's 48 instead of 64, but. Um, I'd love to hear your take on Twitter at some point of comparing these two 
because I don't have a Realme 6, obviously. And I would, you know, for us, the 10L here is a, is a really good option because it hits so many good things that we recommend in a phone for a really good price. But our market is so, you know, insular in, in what we can get, right? Like we don't get a lot of Chinese phones. So I can't possibly imagine why. Don't even get me started. <laughs> but you know how I feel about that. It's ridiculous. Yeah, um, so, so yeah. So I think that um, I would love to hear what you have to say. And, and also when, when you get the 10 Pro, um, what you identify as competitors in the US here, I mean, again, very little competition, much less than the 10L for the 10 Pro. Let me read you what I wrote in the review. The Moto Z4 from last year is still on sale here in the US for quite a bit of money, but it's a really nice phone even if you ignore the mods. And that's that's a competitor. It's about the same specs. Then you have the Pixel 3a, of course, which in the US you can get for as low as 299 right now, which is insane. And then, the, of course, the upcoming Pixel 4a, which supposedly is, we're going to talk about this soon, but supposedly is coming out in July now. It's being delayed a bit. But as I mentioned before, Big elephant in the room is you can get a OnePlus 7T for 500 US dollars, 499, all day long, directly from OnePlus. When $50 less buys you the 10 Pro, I, I don't think you'd want to go to the 10 Pro. <laughs> you know? I mean, so I don't know if you had a, a similar reaction uh, to the 10 Pro as I did when I first saw it. When I... um. So when I, I first saw the 10 Pro in and 10L and all the concepts in Barcelona in the what was the remnants of MWC. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I, I picked up the 10 Pro and I just thought TCL made a P30 Pro. Exactly. Yeah, it does have that uh, the, the top and the bottom uh, like flatness and it like def- the edge curves like and. And some people thought I was being rude about it. And I'm like, no, that's endearing. I really liked it. I think um, it's really gorgeous. The design, it feels so good in hand, Dom. Like, it is a nice, nice phone. But then you look at the specs and you go, oh, right? Like, I mean, it could be, you know, again, as I said, a OnePlus 7T with a telephoto and 855 plus is $50 more. Like, yeah. Do you need to do the math? Like, there's no way. And and um, if it had a 730G in there, right? Mm. Then I'd be like, okay, this is a bit more interesting. Also, if the camera was sorted, then I'd be yes. See, the 10L has a camera that is actually pretty decent. The 48 megapixel on the 10L is a solid camera. The other ones are crap. Like, the ultrawide on the 10L is bad. It's so soft. It's so bad. But on the 10 Pro, you'd think, you know... We have a 16 megapixel ultra wide, and it's much, much better, I have to say. And then we have that 64 megapixel sensor. But as I said in last week's show, I don't know if you heard me say this, I believe that I have not yet experienced a single implementation of the 64 megapixel Samsung sensor that doesn't suck. Oh, oh. I, I have, have to- never tried a phone with that sensor that didn't disappoint me. If you compare that sensor to a 48 megapixel Sony IMX586, the Sony wins every single time, even with the crappiest software implementation. If you're comparing it to the, the 586, then then yes, yes. I, I agree. If That's you're, what I'm if saying. You're, 
if you're comparing it to like the the um, the other Samsung 488 yeah, megapixel sensors, the they all suck. Like I do not believe Samsung knows how to make a good sensor. I see. see I that one I disagree with. I think they I, they do have certain issues. So for the the one that stands out since the beginning of Samsung making ISO cell sensors, they don't know how to capture greens or reds. So greens look like radioactive. Exactly. And reds just look like brown. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I really like the way it captures blues. And I know that sounds really stupid. <laughs> no, but I believe you. I, I, I'm, I'm partially colorblind and, and blue is like shades of blues are colors I see really well. Mm. So like when I when I when I bring those up onto like my computer and I like check them and I like edit them a bit, and I'm like, oh, it's just like, wow, that gr- that tree did not look that color, and neither did like the cars going past. But like, it's overall a, a pleasing image, even if it's not at all true to form. The issues that they used to have was again over sharpness on for like on the sensor itself. Because and that's and that's still the case. You will see yeah. how much of a disaster this is on the 10 Pro. It oversharpens and noise reduces to the point where you're looking. If you zoom in more than three x on the on the 48 on the 10L, you can zoom in up to five, probably seven, and still get a usable picture. You zoom in up to three x on the 10 Pro, and it starts looking like watercolors. That's it so disappointing. Disgusting. I think what's interesting to me is because I've got the, the, the Realme phones, so I have the 6, the 6 Pro, I also have the X50 Pro 5G, their flagship. Right. All three of them have that 64 megapixel ISO cell, cancer. Okay. ISO cell sensor. I want to do a side-by-side test to see the difference in image processing between the MediaTek G90T, the Snapdragon 720G and the 865. I want to see that. If you're using the same sensor, you should. How, how much does the but ISP on the, same, the phone... on the same company, ideally, because this is mm. the thing you need, right? Yeah. Like, I did a comparison between the P90 processor from MediaTek mm-hmm. with the 730, I want to say, 730G uh, on the Oppo Reno 2 and Reno 2Z. Okay. Same camera sensors, exactly. Same camera software, like same imaging stack, same company, same phone, essentially, but different processor. And it was very interesting. Um, I didn't do this for public use. It, it was a consulting gig. But yeah. I can tell you that you'll find some very interesting things. Um, I just want to clarify. I don't think the sensors from Samsung are per se broken like i have their weakness and their strength like every sensor what i feel like is that the software the base imaging stack that samsung makes available to manufacturers who don't have the expertise to make their own for these sensors is bad it's very lacking correct and then very few people have no the know-how to improve on that and if they do want to improve on that, it takes a lot of effort and tuning and tweaking. Whereas I find that with Sony sensors, um, especially the 586, but now the 689, which is like the, on the eight, the main sensor on the 8 and 8 Pro, which is an incredible sensor. I cannot wait. I cannot wait for Huawei or Honor to get their hands on that sensor. Because what Honor did last year on the 20 Pro with the 586 was mm-hmm. the best 
ever use of that sensor I've ever experienced. If you can get your hands on a 20 Pro. It's got one in my drawer. <laughs> and go out there and take photos in low light in every condition with that main sensor. It is almost as good as the P30 Pro. It is that good. It is incredible what they were able to pull out of the IMX586 yeah. because they tweaked it. So that what I'm trying to say is that if you, you know, side by side, take those Samsung sensors with the Sony sensors, Sony delivers a much more polished base imaging stack implementation that actually gets you somewhere if you're just the average phone manufacturer and you have no experience. You get some okay photos out. And it gives you a lot of room for tweaking and a lot of tools to tweak it so that if you are an expert at imaging like Huawei, you can actually leverage that sensor in a very, very positive way. Whereas I find that Samsung, even the best users of the Samsung sensor struggle getting something really competitive out of it compared to Sony. And so, you know, it's the same with the 108 megapixel sensor from Samsung. Like I have a Xiaomi Mi 10 and 5G. And honestly, that, that camera takes good photos, but I still don't feel that it can hold a candle to, you know, some of the lesser resolution sensors used on other phones that I've been testing. And again, I'm in the back of my head, Samsung, Samsung, Samsung. Like, I'm just like, why is it the Samsung sensors, the implementations of them are so, even with companies like Xiaomi who generally do good job at, take, at camera, at imaging, like the K20 Pro last year, I thought for sensor, again, Sony IMX586 did not have OIS, but man, that thing took great photos. I was so amazed with that camera for the money, you know? And of course, you had the Snapdragon 855 assisting with its great ISP, right? But I feel like Samsung has some issues here. Like, they need to fix this somehow. Mm. I've, I've seen a lot of people, especially with the 108 megapixel HMX or HM1s, people saying, like, um, the, sensor is the sensor itself is just bad because of all the issues in the S20 Ultra. And I th that, that's unfair. That's unfair. I agree. We've we've seen a, a couple of phones using the HM1, like the Motorola Edge, the uh, the Mi 10. But the and... Edge Plus is not that good at imaging either. That's the thing. Like I'm seeing because I have the Mi but 10. But it's not the same issues. Right. It's not the same issues. I'm seeing the the Mi. I got the Mi 10 5G here next to the Edge Plus and use them side by side. Same sensor, right? Mm. Same processor. Uh, same ISP. Different software stack and they're both not delivering what I expect from a flagship today. Yeah. And that's fair. And I, I, it's disappointing. And I think one of the issues I've found, and this is just from speaking with industry sources inside companies, is pretty much what you said is, is spot on, is companies were so used to being able to buy a sensor from Sony and the base software stack just working. Yeah, for sure. Much better. And almost what Samsung is providing is like a minimum viable product. Yeah, exactly. Totally. And it's, they're just not used to it. So we see these uh, cameras getting better with time, um, but that's if the company wants to spend the extra time and money developing after the product's already out when they could be working on the next one. For sure. A part, so, of me, a part of me really wants Samsung to get back into mirrorless cameras with just a massive ISO cell sensor, but I also yeah. think that could also just look hilariously wrong. I, I, I don't, I don't <laughs> sure. know. I, I, I want to see it. 
Let's switch gears to talking about Pixel a little bit. We touched on it. Uh, Pixel 4a uh, is rumored to be 349 with 128 gigs of storage. I think that's a really great price. I just, I can't wait. <laughs> that's all I have to say. I, I really, I really want to like the uh, the Pixel 4a, especially seeing as, as much as I did like the Pixel 3a. Um, Me too. I liked the Pixel 3a, but I didn't. Like I'm saying, I obviously liked, like in every way, liked the Pixel 3a. But then I held it and I'm like, this feels like a phone from 2018 or 2017, you know, like with the chin and forehead. And mm. and I was just like design-wise. And honestly, I feel this way about the Pixel 4 XL that I have. With that insane forehead with all the Soli sensor and stuff, it just they just feel dated. I mean, I love the industrial design. I love the black rim. I've got the orange back on mine. It's really nice. But I just felt like the 4A, from all the leaks, the millions of leaks we've seen, is the first industrial design for a Pixel phone that I feel like finally, finally, Google nailed it. It looks like an iPhone, like a it cheaper iPhone. Like I'm not talking about the the I'm not talking about the the, the SE, but I'm talking about like an iPhone XR or 10R or an iPhone 11, right? Like it has that it has a consistent bezel all the way around. It's not the thinnest bezel, but it looks modern. It looks fresh. It looks new. You know. I think that's something a lot of people um, mistake with the iPhones is that they have really small bezels. They don't. They don't. They're just consistent. <laughs> no. They're consistent and they, they curve at just the right places to make you think they're smaller than they are. The proportion, it's all about proportions. It's like when you look at a rear-wheel drive car, it's the proportions. And and it's like the 3A to me didn't have the right proportions. The 4 doesn't either. The 4XL doesn't either. The 4A finally does. And of course, with the hole punch, for better or for worse, I don't necessarily like hole punches and notches, but it feels and looks modern. And now we're going to get all this Google camera goodness Right, and we're gonna get a good price point. Yes, you're not gonna get wireless charging. Yes, you're gonna have a headphone jack. That's good, but you're not. You're gonna get a plastic build, whatever. But I feel like if I had to get a, a daily driver that you know was modern and had good software and a good camera and did everything right and supported all the things I need to support, that's the phone. Also, fingerprint reader in the back. I still think that in display is wrong. It just doesn't. It's not as fast. It's not as much of a good experience. A back sensor is just so much faster and better these days. I I really like in-screen scanners where they are now. So the first generation and a half, so yes, like the OnePlus the OnePlus six T ones, they the I I don't even entertain them. They were they were so poor. They had a really small scanning area. Everything was bad, and I. I don't even want to speak about the one Samsung puts in their flagships because Oh my god, yeah. Yeah. Let let's just gloss over that. But the the V3 sensors that Goodix brought out. So the P40 uh, the P30 Pro onwards. Oh, the P40 Pro is amazing. No, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that they're 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 at a good state now. They're still nowhere near as fast as a, as a capacitive mm. rear sensor. Plus they're and less issue- they're less flexible. My issue is the placement and i've said this on the show before if the first company who puts a under under glass capacitive fingerprint sensor embedded in the rear panel somewhere with a tiny little nub that you can feel by touch it doesn't have to be like a recessed circle Mm -hmm. because i understand that the reason you know not only is it you know 
in vogue right now to have an in-display fingerprint sensor if you have an AMOLED display. But it's also, you know, not very aesthetically pleasing to have that little cutout in the back for your fingerprint sensor. But I want a company to embed one in the back somewhere, a really big one yeah. with just a nub in on it where we know roughly where it is by touch. Because on my Pixel 3 XL, which until recently was my daily driver because I've switched to OnePlus 8 Pro now, um, I didn't switch to the 4 XL as my daily driver because a lot of the apps I use require fingerprint scanning and they haven't been ported to the new APIs and with Face ID and I don't, like, so I can't really use a Pixel 4 XL and without getting frustrated. So I like that the 3 and 3 XL and 3A and the 4A because it has a rear fingerprint sensor. When you reach in your pocket, you can actually touch the sensor and by the time you pull your phone out of your pocket, it's unlocked, right? Yeah, no, I I used to be in that camp and I'm I'm still mostly there. I do really like rear scanners. Um I so since changing jobs, most of my most of my day is spent behind a desk now. Um and my phone is is on like a little a little phone stand. Right. So just just so you having, need the front. Yeah. I it's not just it's not needing it, it's just like it's convenience. Um but I've also found different implementations of how how they do it. So the P30 Pro, again, you've you've got one or had one, the P40 yeah, Pro. Yeah, I still have it, yeah. It's always polling. You could yep. not touch the phone for hours, but if you put your thumb on the screen, it knows you're there and it wakes it up. Correct. The Realme X50 Pro, uh, after, uh, I don't know, I think it's like five, ten minutes, it stops polling. Ah. So, you'll have, so you'll have to like jostle the phone a bit. So if I leave the phone on the desk and I just try and put, and I've not touched it for an hour and I go to do it, the the animation won't do it. The little icon's not there. I have to like wiggle the phone until it thinks I've taken it out of my pocket or something. So it really depends on the implementation. But one thing I'm really upset that we're bringing back, and I really hate this, is side-mounted fingerprint scanners. Oh, really? I don't mind them. It's partially because I'm left-handed. Ah, okay. So as as a lefty, I'll end up using my index or my ring finger, and it's just not the same. There's not as much meat as your thumb. Totally. Uh, And I I just don't find them as ergonomically comfortable. Yeah. Um, No, I hear you. But I hear you. I mean, I think... I'm happy that the, the Pixel 4a will be keeping the fingerprint scanner on the rear... Rather than trying to do like uh, an inexpensive optical one, I don't think that would work well. Correct. And see, for me, here's the thing. If it's on a desk stand, I feel that Face ID should be the way to unlock. And it doesn't have to be as secure. It's right next to you. You're here. You're there. Mm. It's okay. Right? So to me, double tap on the screen at that point to wake and instantly scan my face and unlocks. We're done. Right, I don't need. It's less. It's much faster to do that than to, t- to to make sure my thumb or whatever finger is on the optical scanner. Yeah, that is why I feel like to me the reason the back scanner is so important is because the back scanner is the one you use when you're doing Google Pay. You're out there. You need security. You're tapping on a terminal. It's so natural for you to hold your phone such that your finger is resting on that fingerprint sensor. 
See, that's interesting. Whereas with the optical sensor, you're fumbling, right? You have to hold it with one hand to put your finger on the other on the front properly. And, you know, the line is long and it's coronavirus. So you want to get through the counter really quickly. And it's just a nightmare. I just don't feel it as polished. Like I just pulled the Pixel 3 XL out of my pocket. It's unlocked already because my finger's on the sensor and I tap on the terminal and I'm okay, done. I don't have to look at it. I don't even have to look at it, Tom. <laughs> that's the best part. So that's not an issue we have here in the UK. So the way contactless payments work over here, if it is under, so up until recently, it was £30, but it's because of the virus, it's been lifted to 45 If it's under £30 or £45, you do not need authentication. Oh, so you don't need to unlock your phone? You don't. Oh, yeah, here, no matter what, like, if I spend a dollar, I, I have to use authentication. <laughs> That's insane. So as far as I know, only iPhones force you to authenticate every time here. And that's just because the way Apple Pay is architected. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. If you want to use contactless debit cards, I've got a NFC payment ring. If you want to use uh, Google Pay on your watch or on a phone, if it's sub £45 now, you just tap and go. You don't need to authenticate. You don't need to fingerprint, pin, whatever. But if it's over that, then it'll ask you to, to do that. Well, that's good to know. Um, continuing with the Pixel 4a, uh, Mark Levoy, the uh, expert at the you know that was behind a lot of the computational photography greatness of the Pixel cameras, has left the team. Um, that came up in the next week, in the last week or so, and uh, wow, right? So uh, that's a big deal. Yeah. So he was the guy that was behind Smart HDR or an HDR Plus, right? Correct. Yeah, but a lot of these stuff in general. Like I think he did night mode too, or mm. whatever it's called, night sight. So that's a big loss, I think. I don't want to call this a death knell, but um, no. that's a that's a it's a pretty hard thing to to lose that type of person. Because if you think yeah. about it, what what was what was the 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 thinking about the cameras before Pixel came out? Like Google on on Google phones specifically. Oh, I mean, I think that in general, like I think that Google was doing okay, but nothing too spectacular, right? Yeah. So it was only until it, was only it wasn't until HDR Plus came out, and that came out with a Nexus Five, and I think that must have been the beginning of Mark Levoy's time there. That's when we got HDR Plus, and that blew us away. Yeah. Right. And yeah, so that was the implementation back then was the simple. Uh, underexposed, normally exposed, overexposed, and then stitched into one. That was that. That was the initial implementation, and then we started doing it in real time, and then they expanded. I think to five frames instead of three. Yeah, um, I mean, ultimately, that the big improvement was on the Pixel Gen One, where it would assemble out of the multiple frames different areas, like it would not grab the whole picture. Yeah, it was the semantic, would, the semantic correct, processing. the semantic fragmentation or whatever it's called, fragmenting. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, look, let's let's hope that enough people have learned from him that we, they can take over, you know, take on the torch. A lot of the concept we see on the Pixel and on the iPhone now, and on a lot of you know computational photography heavy devices like the Huawei and Honor phones, are concept that you know have been around in imaging. If you, you look at some of the SIGGRAPH papers over the years that have mm. been there forever, um, it, it's just hard to implement them because they use a lot of compute. Um, so you know, 
And we're going to see more progress whether he's there or not. It's just whether Google will still lead the pack as much as they do. You know, uh, Nokia in the Lumia days um, had, you know, the whole concept of pixel binning, right? Mm -hmm. Which is now done in essentially in hardware. But back then it was done uh, in software. That 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 is a known technique that works, that was used when I was doing medical imaging research in 1995 we mm. used doing we were doing pixel binning to improve noise and resolution um, and even even large scale sensors and like digital lossless zoom like Nokia did with the 808 preview yeah exactly and a lot of that is basically using subpixel uh, interpolation right and that's the technique that medical imaging started using for ct scans and mri so you use a lot of like computational aspects to get that done and of course there's also the whole the whole you know the the dumb binning of like taking four and making one it's not that dumb because you actually reduce noise significantly by doing that yeah and i i like you said we're now seeing that in hardware with the the four to one in the standard um for sure in the the sony and the samsung sensors and it's it's a it's amazing that in in just a few years we've gone from like twelve ish, like eight to twelve megapixel cameras to uh, these these ballooning megapixel cameras, but we're still saying like no 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 it's fine like to keep it around like the output image is around this and that's what people see. Um, but we're we're finally getting back to the site thing of megapixels don't matter. And I rec- I recently did a, a post about um, how megapixels are changing. Um, yeah. And talking about pixel binning. I want to move on to the Vivo X50 gimbal camera because that's just blowing my mind. It's obviously inevitable somebody was going to take OIS to the next level by actually tilting the entire camera system left and right and in every direction. But I don't know if you saw that, but Vivo has teased a gimbal setup on the Vivo X50 flagship that's coming soon. So not just the standard XY uh, OIS we've seen before, but actually like a full-on three-axis gimbal. Yeah, I mean, gimbal. so far OIS does it. It doesn't move the sensor. Like the sensor stays there. And no, the it moves optics, the lens. The lens moves a little bit to compensate for motion, which is yeah. fair. And then this, I think, is the whole thing has got to move because the the range of motion on this is pretty insane. I don't know. I'm assuming, right? I I I, I just uh, had a look at the the GIF that's floating around, and that looks cool as all hell um i yeah i think this is going to become a standard thing within two years on all flagships i i want to say yes as well but if it's reliable if, right i mean not not even just that but how long has it taken for autofocus to come to front of the cameras most of them most of them are still fixed focus there's like a couple i mean like huawei made a big deal about it on the p40 uh, Samsung for the last two or three generations has made a big deal, but that was mainly. But that's not a technical issue; it's a cost issue, right? So this is. Uh, you're right, though. You're right because if if you think about it, remember the HTC. I want to say ten. Yeah. The ten HT ten had both AF and OIS on the front camera. Yeah. And that was cool. I mean, that thing was a chunk as well. Well, there's no reason that couldn't be done today, but I think the challenge that manufacturers have to deal with front cameras and the reason they're 
like leaving out OIS and autofocus is not is a, a cost thing, but of course at a thousand dollars you don't have to worry about that cost. I think it's a space thing, like with this notch and uh, punch hole punch thing that everybody wants, right? Mm-hmm. You can't. It's really hard to get a sensor in there that's big enough to include AF and OIS. Whereas I think in the rear you have a bit more space. Um, so maybe I'm wrong. Maybe we won't see the gimbal, and the gimbal will be this occasional thing on really expensive flagships. Who knows? Maybe it will uh, become more of a thing after under-display under cameras become more of a thing. So we, we know that Xiaomi, uh, Realme, uh, Xiaomi and Vivo and Oppo and all that are working on under-display cameras. We've seen the prototypes. When you can dedicate more space to it, maybe that will be a... Maybe that'll yeah. happen then. Yeah, let's find out. Speaking of cameras again, uh, so I'll link to a story by The Verge. I mean, everybody's reported it uh, because it leaked on uh, Weibo. Uh, that X50 Vivo camera gimbal thing is crazy. Uh, speaking of cameras, OnePlus has temporarily disabled the color filter camera, that dedicated camera that was basically an, a camera without an infrared sensor. Like a lot of people go nuts about this color filter camera. Oh, it can see through stuff. Like, do you understand how imaging works, people? Like, I haven't written about this because nobody's paying me to do it. But frankly, <laughs> I want to because it's just annoying the crap out of me how people are like, oh my God, you can look through an Apple TV. Duh, the Apple TV is made of is IR transparent. That's IR transparent. <laughs> You now have a camera that doesn't filter IR. Guess what? It's going to see through stuff. Duh. Like, hello. This is how, if you take any cheap digital camera out there, like buy, go to your like, uh, you can't do that right now with a pandemic. But if you were to buy a used camera or go to the, you know, thrift store and buy a, a digital camera from a few years ago, take it apart, remove the infrared filter. It's a thing. It's, it's a piece yeah. of glass or plastic in front of the lens or generally behind the lens front of the sensor. You take that out and really you can do exactly the same as as the color filter on the OnePlus 8 Pro. It it looks exactly the same. It's got that crazy weird like woo almost filter almost, vibe inv- to almost it. inverted color space. Yeah, exactly. That's called infrared photography, people. Yeah. It's been around for freaking ever. How do you think the Face ID sensor on the iPhones work? I was just about to bring that up. So I've seen a couple of people um play around with this uh, photochromatic sensor as their friends are unlocking iPhones and they right. see the depth map on their face and yeah. they freak out. And I was like, did you not know that's... How this works? Yeah, it, sh- it shoots lots of IR lasers at your face, makes a map and figures out how long it takes it to fly back and then it makes yeah. a map of your face. Like, that's... That's how it works. It's not taking <laughs> that's a photo. connect. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's connect shrunk down. But it's interesting to me that like people... And so it's interesting to me that I don't even understand why OnePlus is reacting by disabling this temporary. Like, hello, like, what are you worried about here? I think they're they're only they're they're um, reflexively disabling it mainly. I think due to the unbox therapy thing, where um, he showed you can kind of see through thin clothes with it. Ah, like it, and again, like he was wearing like a pretty thin, like gray T-shirt, like dark dark gray. But he put an right. iPhone. He put an iPhone box under his um, T-shirt and got someone to take a photo, and you could see the detail on the iPhone box and stuff like that. Um, I mean, that's what infrared cameras do. Like, yeah, like it, all almost all the cameras out there that are for security do that. Mm-hmm. 
Like, I mean, you live in the UK. It's security camera central at night. Yeah, I'm, they all I'm, use infrared. I'm from, I'm from London, so yeah. Yeah, so like people, you, you, people, they're seeing under your clothes already. Like, don't worry about it. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. I think it's a weird reaction. I, I understand the wow factor that people finally understood how it works and what it does. Although I don't understand that because I knew from the day I wrote about it in my review on, on Geekspin, I didn't even mention it. I was like, this is an, inf I actually said, this is an infrared camera. Like, this is a camera mm. that picks up infrared wavelengths. That's all it is. There's nothing, there's nothing weird here. I'm just still somewhat shocked for their, their reason in including it in the first place. Like, there, there's usually a reason. Like, what did OnePlus want to show off by adding this? Four cameras. That's all they wanted to do. Yeah, it, it must have been. It's, it's it like, was like, what can we do that's cool? The depth camera thing all over again. They want that number. Totally. And that's what everybody's going after. Like that 10L, that TCL that you're playing with, doesn't yeah. need four cameras. It doesn't use half of them. Like yeah. the macro is crap. It doesn't have autofocus. The, any macro that doesn't have autofocus can go to hell. Okay. Also, and also, I would say, in general, any macro camera that's dedicated can go to hell. You know why? Because you can do the same with an ultra wide with autofocus. Yeah. And this is the thing that butts, this is a perfect segue for our next topic, the OnePlus 8. This is the thing in my review that I was so mad about with the OnePlus 8, not the 8 Pro, is that they removed a telephoto, right? Mm -hmm. And to still have a count of three cameras, they added a macro when the ultra wide that they have on there is the same ultra wide as the 7T, has the same autofocus. I've tested it, it autofocuses. So in software, they could turn that into a macro camera. Yeah. Yet they put a dedicated two megapixel macro in there without autofocus. It's bad enough that they removed the telephoto, but the macro they put in just for the three camera count is the cheapest, simplest, crappiest non-AF macro. And as a result, the OnePlus 8 takes much worse macros than the OnePlus 8 Pro, which has the ultra-wide doing autofocus to get the macro. What were they thinking? That's why in my review I said you either buy the OnePlus 8 Pro and you spend the money, or you buy a 7T and call it a day because nobody really needs 5G right now. No, they don't. And I, I don't know if you saw, I posted about this. Um, the, I, posted, I post about this all the time. Um, stop. Like, no one is asking for depth cameras and macro cameras. Nobody is. Like, save them the money, like physical cost, but also the space cost inside the device. Right. And put that into putting a larger sensor in or uh, or uh, put it into more software tuning to make the ultra-wide telephoto and main cameras uh, more matched. Like, the super annoying thing I find with inexpensive phones with multiple cameras is it is so jarring going from the main to the wide or the main to the zoom. Oh, my because God, Because yes. the viewport is different, the colors are different, they're usually, like, one of them is usually a Samsung, one's a Sony, and one's an OmniVision, so they I all know. do everything differently. <laughs> oh, God. It's I like, agree with you. Consistency in terms of color science between cameras is one of the... Even the P30 Pro last year yeah. had issues with that, and, and Huawei was aware of it. They just tried to tweak it, but they weren't getting there. This year on the P40 Pro, though, they nailed it. It's pretty solid. I feel that the difference between the color science on the three lenses is much better. But then again, the telephoto is RYYB now, so that really helps. 
I I I absolutely adore the um the super sensing RYYB sensors. Oh what my they, god, me too. Like I when they when I first saw it and heard about it, I'm like, yeah, all right, another marketing thing. Because uh, it's not. It, it it's not. Off. So yeah. So I went to the P30 Pro pre-brief, and they brought us all out to Amsterdam. Yeah. Um, and they said like, oh, uh, Rembrandt is from Amsterdam. He did a lot of work with the darkness and how it uh, contrasts with the light and blah blah blah. And they they took us on this uh, trip around Amsterdam, and we had the phones, and I was just like, holy crap, this is actually Amazing. real. I know. It's this is not this is not a software trick. You are actually it, it got so good that the night mode was pointless yeah no absolutely um so i want to switch on to some u.s centric topics we're going to go through them pretty quickly this is more informative for my audience here but um you know so thankfully it's to, we're towards the end of the show anyway so it's going to go pretty quickly speaking of the one plus eight and that was our segue um do did you know i'm not sure you're aware of this uh, dom because this is a very u.s thing verizon in the u.s um has currently only got a millimeter wave 5G network in like five cities or something. I didn't realize it was that restrictive, but I do know they're millimeter wave only. But it's literally two or three city blocks with millimeter wave 5G. And it's very fast and very impressive. And they use it as a big marketing thing. Like they were the first with any kind of 5G and millimeter wave are the only ones, right? Well, not, they're not the only ones. AT&T and T-Mobile have also have millimeter wave in extremely rare cases. But they're basically making, they're putting all their bets into millimeter wave and they will eventually have low band and mid band, but currently that's not where their, where their marketing push is. And as a result, every phone that they sell on that carrier has to have millimeter wave if it's a 5G phone, right? Yeah. So guess what? They sell the OnePlus 8. You're going to say... Miriam, wait a minute. The OnePlus 8, like the 8 Pro, only has low band and mid band 5G. It does not have millimeter wave antennas. It certainly could, but it doesn't. So, what are you talking about a OnePlus 8 with millimeter wave? Well, guess what? OnePlus had to make a special version in order to get in bed with Verizon of the OnePlus 8 that also supports millimeter wave. And that's why it's $100 more. You know, instead of six ninety nine, it's seven ninety nine for the same amount of storage to get this phone on Verizon. And not only that, but then it's locked to Verizon. But it's worse than that. We found out last week that the phone is physically different. So let that sink in for a second. Physically different in, in what way? Like it looks completely different or cases don't fit. The volume rocker is in a different <laughs> position, the power button is in a different position, it's slightly thicker. Because it has to have the millimeter wave antennas on the sides and stuff. Yeah, of course. And so basically what we're talking about, this is the an ongoing rant I have about Verizon, is they're constantly bullying the ma manufacturers in order to have them on board to make custom versions of their phones for this millimeter wave that they have in five cities on three city blocks. So this is basically a OnePlus 8V. Correct. And then, you know, related to that, my next topic is the Galaxy S20 when it was announced. Not the Plus, not the Ultra, because those have millimeter wave right from the get-go built in. But the S20, non-Plus, non-Ultra, did not officially in the rest of the world, anywhere in the world, come out with millimeter wave. It supports mid-band and low-band. Yeah, just, just sub-six. Yeah. They said back at the announcement in San Francisco, the last big public event I went to, 
that they were going to have a Verizon was going to have the S20 and that it would come later because it would have millimeter wave. So again, Samsung has made a and, and finally, they're launching it on June 4th. So it's taken how long now? Three more months for Samsung to build a custom version of the S20. You can call it the S20V for Verizon with millimeter wave. And I wouldn't be surprised if next week on the podcast, we find out when the phone ships that it has different button positions as well. And the cases don't work. I had not even considered the fact that I'd had to physically alter the shell. Like it makes sense when I think about it that because the the millimeter wave antenna is a huge. If you click on that link from the Verge about the OnePlus Eight being physically different, they actually show a photo of how where the millimeter wave, like it's a diagram, where the millimeter wave antenna is, and how they had to shift down the volume rocker. It's not the power button; it's just the volume rocker. I think um, it's it's and it's a little thicker. Basically, the cases won't work. That is absolutely insane. So imagine the hassle if you're just the average US consumer, right? You hear all this great stuff about OnePlus. All your tech friends are like, hey, OnePlus is doing cool stuff. And you walk into your Verizon store ready to upgrade. And you're not going to buy Unlocked because, you know, you can get a really good deal from Verizon, right? Fair enough. You walk in and you buy OnePlus 8. You walk out, you're happy. You say phone is great. Maybe you are in one of those five cities near one of those millimeter wave towers. And you're getting 1.2 gigabits of data. Great. You go to buy a case on eBay or on Amazon. You buy the case. You get it, it doesn't fit. This is the BS we're talking about. This is why I want to go to Verizon headquarters and have a little talk with them because this is not right. I, and the, the, yeah, and the, the thing is, is if I understand anything about the US uh, wireless industry is that you can have the other three or now two. You don't have Verizon. You pretty much don't have a, a real product. Like they're they're the biggest carrier. They have the the biggest marketing budget. Like they they make sure people know that they have. I mean, it's not it's not that bad. Like um, you have to understand that AT and T and Verizon are the two big ones, mm-hmm. and uh, they, you know, they basically are because they're like the old carriers. You know, they're the ones who keep driving the prices up and treat their customers like crap. They're just terrible. But they have really good coverage, both of them, and really good networks, right? That's true. However, T-Mobile in the last few years, um, and so the other two small ones used to be T-Mobile and Sprint. And and they're small in the sense that they're about a half half the size of the two big ones. They're not tiny, right? But they're the second, the, the kind of like runner-ups, right? Mm-hmm. And those two... T-Mobile really, really changed their, like became the marketing and performance and networking darling in the last few years. I think today T-Mobile has the best network in the US. They have all three bands on on 5G. They have millimeter wave in very select markets. They have high band, uh, sorry, mid band now is rolling out and they have low band, pretty much nationwide low band. You can go almost anywhere and get low band now. The low band is just their Um, refarmed 4G, right? Correct. Yeah. And so they've done a really good job. And now they're not, they don't have quite the coverage. Like if you go to like, because Verizon and AT&T have been around since the analog days, they have towers in places that T-Mobile just can't afford to build towers. Right. Mm-hmm. So there are some, and if you're in a rural place, there's absolutely no doubt that Verizon and AT&T should be your choice. But if you're in any suburban or urban environment, T-Mobile is absolutely killing it. And they just bought Sprint. They got permission to buy Sprint from 
the FCC, our federal communications agency. After like, and what, five years? It took forever. In this case, I was supportive of it. But I, in, back in the day when AT&T wanted to buy T-Mobile, I was, I was working at Engadget then. I was not supportive of it at all. But what I'm trying to say to folks here is that basically T-Mobile is definitely like, there's now three big players, but the acquisition of Sprint, T-Mobile is the same size as Verizon, AT&T and can really push their, 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 their might around and get stuff done. So it's not a clear cut thing that you need to be on Verizon in the US. But it is a very important network and a lot of people rely on it. And I hate to see what's happening there. And, and speaking of which, because we do have to wrap up pretty quickly, I wanted to mention that Another piece of news related that we just mentioned that T-Mobile bought Sprint recently and they're already ditching the Sprint brand. This summer, Sprint is going to go away. The week before that, Dom, they announced that they're refarming Sprint's mid-band LTE into 5G uh, mid-band. So they're already starting. So if you're a Sprint customer right now and you have a phone that used their mid-band LTE because Sprint had really weird frequency allocations in the US. They inherited some really weird like stuff that is not very compatible. So a lot of their phones, thankfully the Qualcomm chips support these bands, but a lot of their phones, you pretty much, if you were a Sprint customer, had to buy from them to get full network coverage. And so, and so those people bought these phones to get that network coverage on LTE. And now T-Mobile is refarming that into 5G. So they're going to have to go they're probably going to get a discount. Yeah, they're probably going to get a special offer from T-Mobile saying, hey, here, we'll trade in your Galaxy S9 Plus for, you know, a Galaxy S20, whatever. Because these people are not going to be able to, suddenly it's just not going to work for them. But it's really, that's one of the challenges, right? When you uh, aggregate all these different frequency bands, right? We have such weird frequencies in the US too. It gets really difficult. Yeah, I, that, that's something I found years ago when I tried importing a few phones. And a lot of that is complicated history. A lot of people like, I don't understand. It's because, you know, there's US is very unregulated. So it's the far, it's kind of like Wild West in terms of buying uh, Spectrum and getting Spectrum and, and what's available. And, and, you know, they refarmed all the analog TV stuff, right? And that was all over the place as well because already in the old days of analog, things weren't very regulated. So it's very interesting, but it's actually working out pretty okay in the end. Related again to the whole US before we get to the final two items that are not US centric, AT&T, I don't know if you knew this, Dom, but AT&T has been marketing and selling and advertising and having custom icons on their phones in the, uh, the, the, the what's it called, the you know, signal level for 4G uh, LTE advanced right? Yes. And, and it's instead of saying 4G plus or whatever, you know, which LT is what plus, we have over here, right? It says 5GE for 5G evolution. I remember hearing something about this a while and ago. It's so bad that even the app, even Apple had to do it. And Apple's iPhones in the US, if you're an AT&T customer and you have an unlocked iPhone, like you bought your own iPhone, it'll say 5GE next to the level bars. If you're on a four LT advanced network, that is an AT&T network. It's ridiculous. Anyway, so they got sued by someone and they now cannot do that 5G advertising anymore. It, in terms of marketing and selling, they have, to be, they have to call it LTE. But here's the thing. That suit did not win the removal of the label on the phones. Oh, come on. Yes. I'm so glad you say that, Dom. Oh, come on. This is so ridiculous. Welcome to America. That's wow. it. I just want. I just want to tell people. I mean, our, our carriers over here aren't great, but like, wow. 
That's bad, right? Okay, so last couple of items real quick. We've got a new Dimensity chip from MediaTek. It's a 5G chip. It's a MC820. It's slightly above the 800 in terms of performance. And I'm very excited. I'm also excited. I'm Let's see what happens. I'm I'm a big fan of the idea of affordable 5G chips because I believe that when I see the like the le- level of network coverage T-Mobile has on 5G in the US right now, we need more phones that are affordable for 5G. The only thing anything anybody can buy in the US right now, we can't we can't even get a phone with Snapdragon 765G. There's not a single one for sale yet. So it's in no forget Dimensity phones in the US. So we we have all the 5G phones are. 865, which costs a fortune. We need some phones that are $300 with 5G for things to take off. And I'm hearing strong rumors that MediaTek and Qualcomm are both going to be introducing, well, manufacturers are going to use these new cheaper chips to introduce affordable 5G phones in the US in the next two years. So that's good. Yeah, I, I, I again, don't have anything concrete because speaking off the record, and I just have a terrible memory. Um, I've heard that the the plans that of that Qualcomm had to bring 5G to the 600 series is kind of falling back a bit, uh, mainly because they want to focus on the 700 series. Um, yeah, which, which makes sense. It's it's like been really profitable for them. Like makes sense. Like, and the 600 series has had a a couple of issues uh, over the years. But what is super exciting for me is, again, on the, the Dimensity chip, so the 800 and the 1000 and their sub-variants, is they are only sub-6. They're not uh, millimeter right. wave, which some some people might have issues with. I'm perfectly fine with. Uh, I still think it's going to be a good five years before uh, millimeter wave is good enough that you demand it. You demand it. I agree, a hundred percent. Absolutely. The important thing, though, is that even the Dimensity eight twenty is an SA and an NSA, so basically standalone or non-standalone architecture. That's correct. And Huawei was bigging this up years ago with the Beilong five thousand that they covered every spectrum they needed to for being uh, being a five G. So no matter what country they launched this phone in, it would work. Right. And yeah. MediaTek's getting in on that as well. And I'm, I'm really, really impressed. It's super exciting. Uh, final thing before we wrap up, really just a, more of an informative piece of news for the audience that is probably following. IFA is actually happening as a physical event. Asterisk. Somehow. Um, I, do you have any insight on this? Like, how do we register as media? If only 800 journalists can go, we'll never go, right? So, That's not going to happen. So as far as I know, is limited to a thousand in in uh, in person attendees, not including exhibitors. Uh, uh, and you have to have been going to E for itself for a cup a couple of years anyway. So it's not oh, your then first I'm time. I'm not going because <laughs> I'm always at Burning Man for that, right? I always miss it. Mm. But also, you wouldn't be you wouldn't be able to go anyway because Why? Germany is blocking flights from the US. Oh, okay. Well, that solves that then. I don't have to worry about it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I always miss Aoife because I, you know, I work at Burning Man. I, I used to, I've been doing that forever. I didn't know you worked there. Yeah, I'm staffed there just for the event. And um, 
you know, I love it. It's fun. It's a distraction from my, it's a different job, very much different job than my normal job. So it gives a good kind of like reset button every year, you know, but um, yeah, I'm not going because it's not happening. So I was thinking, oh, maybe I can go to IFA or at least do the virtual IFA. But I think it's going to be virtual because you just singed the, you, you just cleared it for me. Um, but mostly also I haven't been going, so I haven't been going for two years, but I didn't see any of the information anywhere about what it means for the media. I guess I, sh- I should go to the IFA website. They're probably outlined the details there. Yeah. Right? I mean, I, I'll, I'll double I'll double check but yeah I was looking through some of the restrictions I'm just like damn this will be my fi-. like if if it was going on at, like as normal this would have been my fifth year yeah. um which is crazy now that I think about it because I remember before being in this industry like like this time of year would come around and I'd see all the blog posts and all the YouTube videos and I'm like wow I'd love to do that right <laughs> now you do now I do yeah. and I'm like oh I just want to sleep <laughs> yes because, because totally. like uh, again I, I don't know how long it's been since you've been to, to Aoife but the the thing I remember is always just the stale cookies and the burnt coffee in the media room I have never been to Aoife because I've been doing Burning Man for before I was a journalist so oh, okay. over 15 years so that's the one event of the year that I don't go to I do everything else uh, although obviously this year I didn't do MWC because it got canceled. I didn't do South by Southwest because it was canceled. That's a U.S. more, uh, yeah, not a technology, but more of a kind of influencer type thing. Yeah, well, it's hard to describe. It, it's three things. It's a film festival, a music festival, and a interactive festival. The interactive part is like, you know, it's got everything from web design to mobile apps. It's, it's much more software and services centric than it is technology hardware, but it's still very technology driven. So... It's an interesting show to go to to kind of see trends and see where things are going. But look, we should wrap up. I would love for you to say to the audience where they can find you on the internet. What are the social media handles? What are the blogs and YouTube channels they should follow? So I try and keep this pretty simple. You can find me at mobile underscore Dom pretty much everywhere important. Um, You can find my written work at www.mobiletechtalk.co.uk. You can find the site, which is uh, at MTT feed. Uh, sadly, Mobile Tech Talk was taken. Um, Don't. But yeah, that's that's it. You can I'm Mobile Dom on Twitter and Instagram, and uh, I do have a YouTube channel. I don't post to it incredibly often, but I do try. Yeah. Awesome. So folks, go check out Dom's work at the various URLs and on Twitter and Instagram. And you know where to find me on the internet. I'm at Tankerl. That's T-N-K-G-R-L. Like the comic book character Tankerl, but drop all the vowels. Twitter is a place where you want to interact with me about this podcast since it's really hard to have comments on a podcast. So if you want to ask me a question, correct me, whatever, argue with me, do it on Twitter. And then we have Instagram as well, at Tankerl, T-N-K-G-R-L. That's for photos of phones, photos taken with phones. Basically, pretty tech content. Uh, I love photography and I love phones, so you should definitely follow me on Instagram. And then, of course, there's a YouTube channel that goes with the podcast. It's youtube.com slash mobile tech podcast. Uh, lots of unboxing videos, some hands-on videos, some reviews. It's basically visual content to go alongside the podcast. If I'm talking about a phone like the TCL 10L, 10 Pro, and you want to see it, 
you go through the channel and check that out. And finally, if you just landed on the podcast for the first time, you want to subscribe, it's mobiletechpodcast.com. We're on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Spotify, a bunch of places. I say we as in me and my guests. Please, if whatever platform you're on lets you rate or review the podcast, do that. I really appreciate it. It really helps. There's also a donation link in the show description. If you can donate, please do to support us. I know the link was broken for a while, but I fixed it. So you should be able to donate now. Thanks to uh, Armand on Twitter for pointing that out. Uh, And then finally, I want to thank our sponsor, Audible. Audible Audible.com is where it's at for audiobooks. If you love books as much as I do, do yourself a favor and join Audible. And at the same time, support the podcast. we got a special URL, which is audibletrial.com slash mobile tech. That's audibletrial.com slash mobile tech. If you click on that, it's also in the show notes and description. Please consider doing it because it supports the show. Whether you stay or not on Audible at the end doesn't matter. Why should you? Well, look, you like books, maybe? If you do, you should check it out because you're not always able to read books. Sometimes you have to like maybe drive or something and you want to listen to a book. Maybe you don't want to listen to a podcast, but to a book. So Audible lets you do that. And they have an incredible selection. They have so many books, so many authors. Some of the books are read by the authors, which I think is really awesome. So if you like books and you like the podcasts and you want to support us, please click through these links, audibletrial.com slash mobiletech to join Audible and decide later whether you want to stay or not. If you do not stay, you get to keep a book for free. So consider it. Uh, And I want to thank Audible for being a longtime supporter of the show. And also I want to thank Dom for being on the show. Thank you. That was really nice to have you. Thanks for having me on. As as you know, I was really nervous about getting back into the podcasting thing. So it it was fun. Thank you. You handled it like a pro. So, folks, we'll have another show next week, as you know. Uh, Stay tuned for that. And until then, cheers, everybody. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.